0: Welcome to an inspirational Sunday message from Found Church. We hope you will be challenged and encouraged while listening to this message. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our church website, foundchurch.co.uk, or you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you, Stephen, and thank you, band. did a great job. Thank you. Praise God. My privilege to share God's word with us this morning. As we do, let's pray together before we come to the, the Word of God. Father, thank you for the privilege of being able to share Your word this morning. And my prayer is always, Come, Holy Spirit, speak through me, inspire me, Lord. There's things I've prepared, and uh, that You'll want me to say. There's things I've prepared, Lord, that may not be appropriate, uh, but and there's things that You might further want to fill my heart and mind with at this moment in time. In a, Lord, just pray that you will do that, and use me as a vessel for your glory. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you've got your Bibles and turn to John 13, this is the final week in John 13. I could have easily ignored this verse, uh, because uh, in, in one sense it's been covered before. But I really felt that God wanted me to speak on this verse, uh, to bring out a side of this verse that I believe is important for us. Uh, in this season of our life, so John thirteen thirty seven is my text today. Peter asked, "Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you." And today, I want to talk about responding uh, to Jesus, and say that responses are obviously very, very important. They're important in marriage vows. Will you take this man? Will you take this woman to be your lawful wedded husband or wife? And you're expecting a response. You're standing there hoping that the person that you're standing at the altar with is going to say, I will, or I do. And you're hoping that that's going to be the case. you're not going to turn around and say, would you? But you're actually going to say, yes, I do. They're important in worship. And in Pentecostal worship, we encourage people to say an amen or a hallelujah or I praise the Lord and really believe it. That, that is important, because I believe that preaching is not just about somebody standing at the front and sharing what's on their heart, but it's a joint thing. And I believe as we jointly uh, operate together and cooperate with the Holy Spirit, that our experience can actually be enhanced. In some forms of worship, there are set responses, and, and, and people will say something, the, the priest or the person leading the altar uh, will say something, and then you give a response, and they're set responses. If your boyfriend or your girlfriend uh, says to you, um, will you marry me? You're obviously looking for a response. And, and hopefully it'll be yes. Whether you're doing it in front of all your football fans at, at uh, Falkirk Football Stadium, or if you're down in a Neandertus, whatever it might be, you're hoping for that response of that I will, uh, I will marry you. And so Proverbs tells us that responses are important. In Proverbs 24:26, he who gives a right answer kisses the lips. That's well put, isn't it? It's like a kiss on the lips. I get the right answer. And Proverbs 25 and 11 says, a word fitly spoken or a word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. And that is another beautiful picture. And, and I would confess that I don't always give the right response. I want to. I want to get better at it. And, uh, I, and I hope that I am. The best person to ask about that is my dear wife or, or some of our members of our family or our work colleagues because they will know But there's times that I've thought, I wish I'd said that, or I wish I'd done that, or whatever. And uh, you know, sometimes it's easy just to allow kind of mindless things just to trot out from our hearts. And and I believe that God wants us to respond well. Uh, Stephen gave thanks a few moments ago for LEAD on Wednesday night, and we were looking at the subject of emotional intelligence, how we read other people, how we respond to other people. I actually wish that I'd been exposed to that kind of teaching 40, 50, 60 years ago, it would have stood me in good stead uh, down through our, our life. And so, we can easily be trite. And we can easily say to some, somebody something like, well, and, and may, their hearts might be breaking and, and, and you maybe say, well, there's a reason for everything. And, and that's not really what that other person is wanting to hear, or, or uh, what's for you won't go by you. I actually don't think that's a true statement. Because I think that there can be things for you, but if you don't take uh, the opportunity or the invitation and respond to it, it will go by you. So, so if I invite you to dinner tonight, and I'm not because I've been invited somewhere else, but uh, if, if, uh, if I was to invite you for dinner and you said no, then what's for you will go by you. If you get an opportunity of, of, of a lift somewhere and you say, no, I don't want that lift, then what's for you will go by you. It's because you're not responding to the invitation it's been given for you. Or, or, or I love Romans eight twenty eight, 28. And it's a favorite of many of us in the pastoral team. When, when we, had, uh, we were first married, we, we had, a, we had a, a plaque on our, our wall, and it, it had Romans 8, 28, and it, and it meant a lot to us, and still does. But to somebody who's going through the most painful experience of their life, just trotting out, Oh, well, all things work together for good is not really going to help that person. It's a true statement. It's a Bible. It's a true statement. It's, it's not like what's for you won't go by you. Because it's the Bible we're speaking about now. But how we say it, the way in which we say it is really, really important. His responses are really important. If we don't read the situation well, then we're, then we're going to pour petrol on the fire or water on it. And if the fire needs to be stoked up, it's important we put petrol on it. And if, if it's, if it's needing to die down, it's important we put cold water on it. And what about the times that we respond when somebody cuts us up in the traffic or doesn't, doesn't uh, uh, put an indicator on? You know what I've found? I go down the road. See, it's like St. Mungo's there. And you're, and you're turning right. And they're coming down from the beef eater. And, and, and you're what to turn right. And somebody's in that lane And you're waiting for them because they're in the lane and there's no signal and then they turn left. I hate that. Now, I don't know if you do it, but you know what's happened? I've done it myself. And and I'm thinking, wow, it's something I blame other people for and I do it myself. Of course, none of that happens to any of you, but responding is important. And responding to Jesus is the most important of all responses. I grew up attending a local church of Scotland in my village uh, that I grew up in with my parents. And I don't really remember very much about any sermons that I heard in my early days. I heard one sermon about coming second, and I was about 20 years, coming up for 20 years old, and, and that's the only sermon that I can really remember ever hearing uh, when I was growing up. We sang four hymns. One of them was a children's hymn, usually, one of them was a psalm. We had a couple of prayers. And uh, a children's story, sometimes, mostly, And a sermon that lasted for 12 minutes maximum. And dare it be more than 12 minutes. And it was a problem. Some of you might long for these days again. Apart from congregational singing, taking the offering forward, and putting the Bible up before the minister went up into the pulpit, that uh, you were out and everything was done by the, the, the minister, and you were out and in within an hour. And then in my early 20s, I was... I went to a summer mission that was run by our local Church of Scotland uh, church. Well, it was actually held in our local Church of Scotland church. It wasn't run by it. And uh, I had no intention, zero inten- intention of going to that meeting until we were walking up with my pals, and we saw attractive girls. And as I said to the first service, maybe that's a form of evangelism that's, uh, that's lacking. But we saw so these attractive girls, went in, and uh, this girl uh, turned down to me, and she said, uh, are you a Christian? And I said, I would like to think so. I go to church every Sunday. And she said, going to church every Sunday doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's every day makes you a hamburger, or going to a garage every day makes you a car. And so she then proceeded to, to ask this question, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? And I, and I said things like, well, I hope so. I go to church every Sunday, stuff like that. And uh, is it not a bit presumptuous? All these kind of things were in my head. And, uh, but I was really challenged by the fact that Jesus could return at any time. You now you see, to let you understand what I was thinking at that time, my sister went along to Pentecostal church, and I just thought folk went there with fancy hats and fancy clothes to outdo each other. So that's, that's what I thought. And so I had no intention of going. And, and, and all this for getting saved, I didn't understand it. And, but I thought, if there's anything to be put right before I die, I'll, I'll just kind of make a deathbed convent, uh, confession. Now, the, I know that there were some people that my own age, in fact, some of my friends were killed in road accidents, very sadly. And, and, and there was the chance that something could happen and you didn't know when your deathbed was going to be. But I kind of thought I was, reasoned I was kind of okay and that that day would come. And then, but these, these mission people were talking about the return of Jesus and how Jesus is going to return at any time. And, I, and that really challenged me. So I knelt by my bed, asked God to forgive my sins, and invited Him to come into my life. In other words, I responded to the invitation it was given. You see, the gospel demands a response. John 3.16 is probably the most famous verse in the Bible, or certainly one of them, Maybe the Lord is my shepherd is another. But uh, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, in that, in that verse there, it says whoever believes in Him shall not perish. And if you have an amplified version, which is a version of the Bible that amplifies the meaning of words, it, w- it will say for there, whoever believes in Him, and, and picking up in the Greek word, it would say, believes in, clings to, Trusts in hands one's life over to. There's actually something that we do in response to that. And that's a clear New Testament teaching. In Romans 10, for example, uh, Paul writes that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that's that word believe again, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe. It's not just like being a parrot. It's not just speaking forth words. It's actually believing in our heart. With your heart that you believe and are justified, and it was with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And and I believe it is a very, very important strength and power, and and it's a very important part of of, of of our conversion when we actually tell people that we've got saved. So if we were to raise our hand in a meeting or respond or start coming along to church and and, and quietly pray a prayer that Jesus would come into our life, it's really, really important that we tell people, according to Romans chapter 10 and 9, we used to sing a song in in the kid's church years ago, Romans 10 and 9 is a favorite verse of mine. And so it's a really, really important verse. And after Paul and Silas were, were, were preaching in Philippi, they'd, they'd seen this girl that was possessed by a demon set free. And she protected the future through a demonic influence. So the, the power of Satan was at work in her, enabling her to, to, to tell about the future. And they set this girl free. But her but bosses were really annoyed because their means of gaining uh, money and, and, and income resources w- was being cut off. Their income stream was cut off. And so Paul and, and, and Silas ended up being beaten, severely flogged, and put in prison. And the Bible tells us about midnight, they were singing hymns and praising God, which is an amazing thing. In their darkest hour, they were praising God. Now this morning, we sang that song, I Raise a Hallelujah. And you in the first service. It, Peter Henderson and Diane went up and prophesied into and, and that song. And, and, and it lifted the, the meeting to another level. And I really felt that we were actually raising a hallelujah eh, in that moment in response to the, to the prophetic word. Well, Paul and Silas were praising uh, uh, God about midnight in one of the darkest moments uh, in their life that was going on in their world. And uh, the Bible says that uh, God sent a localized earthquake that, 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 that hit the prison where they were in. And, and everyone's chains came loose. And the jailer at that time, who would have been responsible for the prisoners under his care, so much so that if they escaped, his head was on the chopping block. So, so he was scared. And he was about to take his own life. And you can read about it in, in Acts 16. And, and uh, when Paul intervened, and then the, the, the jailer said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, and here's this response again. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And something, two things immediately changed about that man's life. Number one, he began to take care of, these, of, of, of Paul and Silas. Bathed their wounds. There was a change. Compassion touched his heart. This hardened jailer has now become a compassionate man because something has happened. The Spirit of God has done something in his heart. And the second thing is, he got baptized, him and all his household, which is really important. And if you are a believer, it is so important that you get baptized. That's a biblical principle, saved and baptized and added. And I believe it puts a further seal on our faith. Another example of responsiveness is in Acts 2. On the day of Pentecost, the Lord Jesus had told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem till they be endued, empowered with power from on high. And the Bible tells us that Jesus had appeared to over 500 of, of, of his followers. But sadly, only 120 appeared in the upper room, including Mary, the mother of Jesus. So there are 120 up in this room. And the, and the people had come from all over the area and the known world to come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. And these 120 people are up in an upper room, and suddenly there is a sound from heaven like a, the rushing of a violent wind, like, whoo, like going. It wasn't great, but it's my best attempt. But, but uh, they're making this noise like a mighty rushing wind, and then suddenly. Tongues of fire, like if you watch a a fire, a a live fire going up a a chimney or or out in a fire pit or whatever, and these tongues of fire came and rested on each and every one of them. And every single person there, every single person, without exception, the Bible says, they began to speak in languages they had not learned, which we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, And it's a supernatural experience. They had a supernatural experience. They began to speak languages that they had never learned. And they went out into the streets, and people says, they're drunk. And it says, only nine o'clock in the morning. How can they be drunk? And Peter stood up, and he addressed this issue. And so all of these people from all over the world that had come together, they're hearing these guys speaking in languages, their languages, a terminology which is called glossolalia. And so they they began to speak these languages, these tongues that they'd never learned before. And these people are listening, and, and this crowd is there. And, and the Bible says, Peter spoke, and he addressed them, and he told them about Jesus. And then they asked, what should they do? He says, what shall we do? Acts 2.38. And Peter replied, repent and be baptized. So that word repentance that Stephen was speaking about a little while ago, it, it, going in one direction, being sorry, realizing that you need a change of mind that's going to lead to a change of action to turn and go the completely opposite direction. And so that's what, that's what he's saying. You need to repent and be baptized. There's a word again, it, it, how important it is to be baptized. And it says those who accepted his message were baptized and 3,000 people were added. See, there was, there was a response there. And crowds flocked to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist preached for a response. And he, he preached a great message. How do you fancy coming to church and getting this message? You brood of vipers. Imagine me turning around and saying, You bunch of snakes. I mean, that's it's, it's, it's an amazing word, isn't it? I mean, I'm feeling knocked down this week. Life's been hard. Like, all kinds of things have happened at my work and all things are kicking off in my house. And you go, and the pastor stood up, Well, today we want to look at this. I've got a message for you from the Lord, you bunch of snakes. I mean, it's, it's not something that you would really have a rapport with. He Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? And then he begins to preach. And tell them uh, what they needed to do. And uh, then the people said, what shall we do? The crowd asked. And, and then John answered, the man with two tunics should share with him who was none. And then the tax collectors came, and they're asking. And he says, don't collect any more money than you're required to. Be honest in your dealings. And then the soldiers came and said, what do we do? And, and, he, and he says, don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. And be content with your pay. I mean, what a, what a scripture, what, what an amazing world we would live in if every employer treated their employees well and the employees were content with their wages. Huh? Imagine being paid so you don't have to complain about your money because it has to touched your heart and then you're not asking for any more. Wow, what would what 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 be a utopia, wouldn't it? So Jesus himself continually expected a response. Challenged these hearers when there was a lack of response. Remember that famous scripture, as he overlooks Jerusalem, as he's going towards the cross, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets, stoned those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate.'" And you see the heart of Jesus reaching out to his people, the Jewish nation, who had been more favored than any other nations in the world. And, and Jerusalem would have been meant the whole of the Jewish people. Look, I longed to gather I longed to put my loving arms around you. Like there's lovely pictures in the Bible of, of God being like an eagle that it, it, it lifts up His people, and and and, and 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 He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the mighty. Beautiful pictures of, of these of kind of uh, experiences where God's protective arms was around. You. And Jesus longed to do that, but but they didn't. They didn't respond. And he challenged them about their lack of response. But your house is left unto your desolate. And my father's house, my house, now becomes your house. And they've got to suffer the consequences of the rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Another passage that illustrates this is found in Luke 729 to 35. And it says, when they heard this, all the people, even the tax collectors, agreed that God's way was right. So you've got people that were outcasts of society, understand that's right. I need to get my life right. And for they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees, the religious leaders, experts in the religious law, rejected God's plan for them. God's got a plan for every everyone of our life, and they rejected God's plan for them. So Jesus says, well, what's this generation like? He says, it's a bit like somebody going out and playing in the public square and playing wedding songs, and they didn't dance, says Jesus. And for John the Baptist spent his time eating bread or drinking wine, and you say he's possessed by a dream, a demon. And the son of man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And and, and Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter what we do. Whether we go out in the marketplace and play funeral songs or whether we go out and play wedding songs, you're going to complain. And John the Baptist came and he was very strict and he did all he did. And then then I came and, 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 and you're accusing me of being a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. It doesn't matter what I do, nothing's going to please you. And then he, he, he challenged them in Matthew eleven twenty. 20. He challenged the, the villages who saw his miracles. And he challenged them about their lack of response. And he said, if these things had been done, and he mentioned other places, including Sodom, he says, they would have repented long ago and cloth in sackcloth and ashes. So the gospel requires a response. Jesus continually expected the response and challenged the lack of responsiveness. And I would go to, as far as to say today that the the journey of a disciple should be one of continual responsiveness. So after a challenge about if I was to die tonight, will I go to heaven, becoming aware that Jesus could come back at any time, I knelt by my bed, asked for forgiveness, asked Jesus to come into my life, and the next year the mission came back, I told them what I'd done. And then sometime after that, I went with the young people in Fraserburgh to a youth rally in Dundee. There was people from all over coming. Fraserburgh was a hundred-mile journey. Went in a coach to this meeting in Dundee, AOG meeting, youth meeting. As a preacher wound up his message, he's asking people to be involved in service for the Lord, Can I be Jesus to be more the boss of their life, and, 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 and I'm, feeling that I'm feeling it. I'm feeling I'm not where I should be. I'm feeling I need to go to the front, that I need to be more involved and, and, and all of that. So, so it was a big battle for me, Church of Scotland background, shy, never, never responsive. And, and, and I went to the front of the meeting. But by the time I'd walked from my seat to the front of the meeting, the, 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 the appeal was now to be a missionary. And, I, and I'm freaked out. I'm thinking, I've been deceived. I've gone forward. For for further service, and, and now they want me a, bit, a missionary, and and, and I, 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 but by the way, if you, if you make appeals, make them make them clear, let people know what they're going forward for. So so now I'm coming back from the meeting, and people are pleased to see me going forward. and There's turmoil inside my heart. And on the way back in the coach, I meet up with Avril West, one of the girls from Fraserburgh that was more mature in the faith than me, lovely girl, eventually became a a, a missionary in in Pakistan, and and I sat down with Avril, but I wasn't wanting to tell her what was going on in my head. I, 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 I was careful to go forward. I was wanting more of God in my life, but hey, mission field, Africa, snakes, oh dear me, that's not for me at all. And, and I felt I'd been deceived in, in that situation, And thankfully I got peace in my heart and a good good counsel and stuff like that. So I was now growing in my discipleship and, and journey and making progress, but there was areas in my life that I felt that God wanted for himself, gifts that He wanted to give to me. And when I was, uh, worked in the Bank of Scotland, just down the, uh, down the road from where we lived, where, where we worked, uh, down the Bray, down the harbour, weren't very far from the harbour, it was the Royal National Mission to Deep Sea Fishermen, a mission. And we used to go there for our lunch, and eat and wholesome food like sausage roll, beans and chips and, and, and stuff like that, sometimes soup, and, and uh, sit down there and have our dinner. And there was these guys from the Penteys, from the AOG in Fresebra. And when they came in, I hated it. Because something would sit at your table, and they would give you a heavy on the gospel. And, and, I, and, and about the importance of getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. And, and, and I, was, I was not up for any of that kind of stuff. And uh, so this particular... Uh, I was always glad like when, when I went in and they were sitting at a table with other people. I think they just went to the, to the mission to engage with people in, in conversation. Anyway... I went to this meeting in Cairnbowl. It was a, it was a, a convention. And uh, it was at New Year. And the guy was called, preaching was called David Skelton. And he, we've had him preach here. In fact, I remember the night he came here. Some of you might remember this. He prayed for Robert Smith. And Robert Smith got drunk in the Holy Spirit. And we had to carry him out the door and take him home. He couldn't stand. Like, I've, never, I've never ever seen that in my whole life. Like, he couldn't stand. The power of God hit him to such a degree that, that he couldn't actually stand. It took him home legless. Like it was. It was and, and, and David was, was such, was, was such a, a, a great guy. And, and, and he, he was always dressed pristine. And he had his shirt and his tie on. And there was no razzmatazz or anything like that. And, and, uh, and he was preaching us at, at Fraserburgh that night. And he says, our lives are like houses. And he says, in our house, he says, we've got rooms that we don't let people into. Now, I told the first congregation that when, Diane, when we've got people coming to the, the house upstairs, she says, make sure his bedroom doors are closed so nobody can see Anne, just in case there was anything lying about. But Diane then told me through in the, the office, she says, well, what they don't want to see is your office, because that's even worse. So... So Stephen wants to see it, but maybe one day I'll let him see it. He think, if I, he, Stephen thinks, my friend Stephen thinks, we should take a photograph of it and put it up there and let you see it. So that's what he thinks as well. But, but I've, heard, I've heard Elizabeth give him a row for stuff. that He's got in the back of his door. and his study as well. So just, you know, the pot calling the kettle black. So, any, amen. So, so in this environment about Jesus being Lord of our lives, he said, well, lives are like houses. And are certain rooms that we don't want people into. So we're going through a hard time. Things are difficult. There's a challenge. Our lives, all oh, at sea, it's a bit like a storm. We want Jesus to come into that storm, into that part of our lives that's not good, into that work situation which is difficult, into that classroom situation that's difficult. We want Jesus to come in here. We want Him to speak these words of peace. But hey, wait a minute. Our bank book, our finance or checkbook, oh, well, we don't know if we want to go there in that situation. And that was me. And I really felt I should go at the front. But I was challenged because I remember Dundee. I remember Dundee, and I still wasn't a missionary in Africa. I remember what was going on at that particular time. And, and I'm thinking, I need to go forward, but I don't know if I'm going forward. I need to go forward, and I need to make Jesus Lord in my life. I need to respond. And John Watt, who was a fisherman, gave a prophetic word. And the prophetic word spoke the words that was in my head. He prophesied what was in my head. Like, there's turmoil going on in your heart, and you know, that kind of stuff. And, and I, I went forward that night. And these guys that used to come into the, to the mission and give me the heebie-jeebies, I went looking for them, because I wanted to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that's my early days, and as the band comes now, as I begin to draw this to a close. I just want to say Peter here made, made a bold statement. He says, Lord, I'm willing to die with you. That's basically what he said. And Jesus knew him better than he knew himself. And what I want to say to us today, God doesn't just want an emotional response. He wants a real response from our hearts. And Peter made that, that response. But Jesus knew that, that, that he wasn't quite there yet. In fact, Peter had made many responses. and I probably, I've, I've only preached half a message. Pe- Peter made so many responses in his life that he was always the one who was responding. And it's not unusual for Peter to make that response. But Jesus knew better than Peter knew himself. But he wanted Peter, he challenged Peter. Peter was saying, who's the one who's going to betray you? At, at one point. And now Jesus is turning out to Peter, the hero of the hour who's willing to die. And he said, but you're going to betray me. You're going to deny me. And, and, and I was like, suddenly the focus is on, on Peter. But this morning, what I really believe that God wants to do is He wants us to be a responsive people to Him. And there's maybe things in your life, in your world, I'm sure there are, that God wants you to respond to. My life has been one of continual responsiveness right up to the present time. This morning at the first service, I was sitting there and God just put something in my heart for somebody that was sitting there. And I thought, well, I'll go speak to them afterwards. And did you know the appeal time that we're having just now? And this morning, they came back before me and I really felt I should speak openly over that person in the meeting, in the first meeting this morning. And I did, to the glory of God. It's continual. I want to be responsive to what God is saying. I believe Gregor was responsive this morning in leading worship, and, and uh, he he sang that, that, that add-on bit of the chorus, "Break my heart from what for what breaks yours." It's just that continual. Living. But it's not just about a song or or bringing a prophetic word. It's it could be to giving, it could be to serving. For us, it was all of these things in my life. God had challenged me about giving, about tithing, about giving offerings, going to Bible college listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. He, he, he even showed me at times where I needed to apologize to my wife and say sorry for maybe a harsh word or not engaging as, as I should have or whatever. And, and so in our lives today, I wonder what is God saying to you and what's he saying to me to respond to? Maybe we've never responded to the gospel. And if you're at home or you're in this place and... You need to do what I did as a young man and say, Jesus, come into my life, forgive my sin, come into my life and make me a new person. Maybe you need to do that this morning. Maybe click on the, on the code and, and, and click on, online and say, I'm giving my life to Jesus. And, and maybe you heard something today, for the first time it made sense, and you say, I need to start that journey with Jesus. Maybe you're here and there's an opportunity to do that in a minute. Maybe it's to trust God in a situation that you're in this morning when I was praying it and I realized that far too much material I knew that before this morning but as I was praying over it this morning I was saying God what do you want me to share and I just felt that God says at the end like call people to and I wrote it down stuck it with a paper in here so maybe to trust to love to give to serve, to forgive to stop speaking about something negatively calling negative things, to change our language, how we speak about stuff. Really, really important. Like, to stop playing victim, to move forward in faith, to give up something that we know is wrong and harmful. And as I was praying in the first service, I really felt this urge for people who have got one step with Jesus and one step in the world. So I don't know what your response is this morning, what God is calling you to respond to, but I invite you to stand with me. It's okay, I'm not going to call you by mission in Africa. i just going to stand where we're at. I just want us to put our hands out before us. And we know what we need to respond to. All I'm going to ask and lead us in prayer is that, that the Holy Spirit show us, basically, what we need to respond to. That's how I'm going to lead us in prayer. And ask going to show you and me what we need to respond to and then just to do that this morning. That's all. But before I do that, if you're in this service and you've never given your life to Jesus and you know that you need to, if you'd like to raise your hand up, I'll see your hand and I'll pray for you. I just want to give that opportunity. If there's somebody here that's never given their life to Jesus. Okay, so let's, we're all in the same boat. We're all people who know and love Jesus. Put our hands out before us and just say, Lord. Out, Out as if as if we're receiving from Him, then out as if we're giving to Him, responding the way He wants us to respond. Holy Spirit, I pray that You will show us the areas of our life and these very important, intimate moments with You. Lord, that we will respond, whether we're here at home, here in place, or at home, on our TVs, or our screens that we will respond whether we're watching it later on what, whatever you're saying Lord we want to respond with a yes Lord we want to respond with a I do God, or an I will Lord pray that you'll take our lips pray that you'll take our minds pray that you'll take our resources and help us to live for your glory under your Lordship Take our hearts, take our pains, take our concerns, take our concerns. Just have this sense of a picture that it. it's almost like the Holy Spirit's coming and taking stuff out of our head that needs to come out that shouldn't be there. It's just like the touch of God coming and lifting stuff out, lifting stuff up. Things that shouldn't be there, thoughts that shouldn't be there, stuff that shouldn't be there. It's for a cleansing experience, something fresh and something new. Getting rid of the old and putting in the new. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you're doing that. Touching our hearts. We want to be a responsive people, not an emotional response, but a really good response. You said we should count the cost before we do anything to follow you with our whole hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been challenged and inspired. Please feel free to contact us through our website, foundchurch.co.uk or you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.